0: the culminating point is Romans 3:26, mm-hmm. that God can declare us righteous while also being righteous at the same time so he doesn't negate nullify disregard or cheapen his righteousness but the sacrifice of Christ who bore the wrath for us is the way in which then he can be righteous even while declaring righteous a scoundrel like me because of the faithfulness, or our faith in Christ, or the faithfulness of Christ.
1: Well, hello everybody, Pastor John and Pastor Tim. Uh, Every moment is podcast from Carney, Nebraska, Holy Cross. And today we have a very special guest with us, we have Dr. Michael Middendorf. Uh, professor of theology at Christ College in uh, Irvine, California, and also the author of the two-volume Romans Commentary that Pastor Tim and I use
2: each week as we prepare for our sermons. Yeah, show them both. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> appreciate the weight of this. This is like heavy workout, right? Yeah, Yep. Yeah. So uh, great
1: to have you. Uh, thanks for being with us.
0: You're very welcome. Great to be here as well.
1: And so just really quickly as we begin, um, what do you do on a daily basis next to writing Romans commentaries?
0: (laughs) Yeah, so I'm I'm full-time teaching faculty here. So uh, normally about two-thirds of my uh, role is teaching undergraduate classes that all of our students get to take uh, in a basic theology course or Old and New Testament classes as well. Uh, Then the other third is upper level uh, theology classes. Last semester I got to teach what we call book of the Bible, and the professor gets to pick whichever book they want. Of course, I picked Romans, (laughs) Uh, but then we also have a cross-cultural ministry center seminary program and offer an MA in theology Uh, So the other third is more specialized upper level or graduate seminary courses. And uh, I'm uh, thrilled to be able to kind of cover all those areas, but still enjoy trying to get 18 to 20 year olds interested in learning about and growing in uh, the Bible for the rest of their lives.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you've been doing this for 21 years.
0: That's right. I was. I always say I was a parish pastor in Jamestown, North Dakota, way too cold.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> cold. I caught
0: at Concordia, now Con- Concordia University, Texas. Summer's way too hot. And so, yeah, I came out here in 2001. And it's yeah, hard to believe, but uh, time has gone fast, and God has richly blessed me with uh, what I get to do. Very cool. Wow.
1: Well, good. So um, before we get going, i um, we usually start with, with some type of a joke, like a dad joke, and uh, do you have a joke for us?
0: I do, especially since the baseball season's in precarious state right now. Uh, yes, the God's favorite sport is baseball. In the big inning, God created the heavens and the earth. Eve stole first, Adam stole second, Abraham sacrificed Isaac almost, Gideon rattled a pitcher and the prodigal son came home, the end. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I I
2: like that. That was was like the most uh, professional and complete joke we've ever had on this this show. Most of them are really poorly executed (laughs) because I do most of them.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, um, let's get down to Romans. Um, First question is just how did you get interested in the study of Romans? What made you say, hey, this is my book?
0: Yeah, looking back, I mean, it was probably seminary years um, where when I was at Concordia Seminary St. Louis in the day, you had to take a class in Romans or Galatians uh, because of the influence they've had on Martin Luther and Lutheran theology since. Uh, I should have taken the shorter one, but I I chose Romans because I thought it covered so much. And probably at least at the scholarly level, when I got time for uh, staying after my master divinity and working on a doctorate, Uh, Dr. Brighton, who was there then, said that, well, the big problem areas in Romans are Romans 7 and Romans 9 to 11. So I had wisened up by then and thought, one chapter, three chapters. So one chapter, Romans 7. So um, that chapter, so kind of a central to Lutheran understanding of saint and sinner at the same time, is actually very disputed in theology So my first chapter was realizing three-fourths of Bible scholars don't think that's Paul talking about himself as a Christian and just forced me to go deeper, listen to the different voices and so on like that. Mm -hmm. So at least at the scholarly level of doing a commentary, uh, my dissertation was called The Eye in the Storm and Concordia Publishing House published that um, in the Concordia Academic Press. So, yeah, at the level of being asked to write the commentaries, that was probably it.
2: Interesting. Yeah. So Romans seven. And, and for people who aren't immediately familiar, this is uh, the doos, right? Where yeah, I, it Paul is. does what he does, what he doesn't want to do, and he doesn't do what he should do. And so that uh, there's some controversy around that particular passage that um, some people think Paul couldn't possibly be talking about as a Christian and an apostle, his own personal ongoing struggle with sin.
0: That's correct. I mean, verse fourteen is I uh, I I am un the law is spiritual. I'm an unspiritual soul under sin. Well, that can't be a Christian. And the rest of the chapter unfolds as continuing futility uh, in uh, being able to do the good. And uh, I'm still sold as a slave to sin and so forth. That he gets toward the end of the chapter. So correct again. Most Bible commentaries. Um, outside of the Lutheran a tradition especially that conclude that that isn't Paul talking about of itself as a Christian. So there has to be some other uh, person he's um, imitating or expressing that frustration or it's either him retro back to when he was a Pharisee and struggling mm-hmm. with keeping the law, which I mean, can go into the interpretations of that, but that isn't square with what else he says about himself when he was a Pharisee. So I think the Lutheran kind of, a normal hearing of that text is that it's the author talking about himself in the present tense, and that's how those who heard it orally in Rome, as the letter was read to them, uh, would have heard it.
1: As you're as you're talking about that, the commentary that's right behind my computer is uh, Thomas Schreiner, and so I think he'd be an example of somebody. I think a Southern Baptist. I I think I'm right in saying he would say Paul's talking about before he was a Christian. That there's a struggle, um, kind of a, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and opposite. And then, um, but a Lutheran understanding would be the Satan sinner thing, right? That, that both of those are true at the same time, right?
0: Yeah, and it's, it's, uh, it's almost you arrive there by saying, well, the, could this be a self-righteous Pharisee? Admitting falling short and sinning as much? No, no. Even Paul is a Pharisee, right? Like what else he says about his previous life does not square with this. And then to the, the total delighting in and rejoicing in the law of God and wanting to live it out, well, that's not some unbeliever either, right? So I think the default is the normal way you would hear that. There's no signal in the text otherwise. So verses 7 to 11 are I in the past tense. Verses 14 to 25 are uniformly I in the present tense. So then that's again how it would normally be heard, unless there's some overwhelming uh, uh, evidence or a signal in the text that we're supposed to hear it in a different way.
1: Huh. And, you know, just for some people listening, this all might be really like technical, yeah. um, theological, but really this stuff matters because there's a big difference between i guess in terms of assurance knowing that you're a christian Mm -hmm. knowing that you're saved there's a big difference between an interpretation that says uh christians don't really struggle with sin anymore versus the real experience that every christian has of a real battle between Mm -hmm. the old and the new and and if we don't rightly interpret romans if we give a wrong picture of the Christian life, it's going to really harm people, right? And and so kind of following that thought, um, we've invited our church on a nine to 10 month journey to go through all of Romans in a very detailed way. And I can imagine somebody in the pews saying, why is this important why are these pastors so excited about romans i don't get it like why tell me why this is important and so what would you say to somebody if they said what's the big deal about romans why is this worth preaching reading knowing well
0: yeah there's just so much great stuff in there i think um the way paul writes to a specific first century context of house churches in rome makes it sound very uh, narrow But he just writes so often, uses the word each, every, all uh, 74 times. So he's writing in a way that's universally applicable. He writes about Jew and Gentile or Jew and Greek, which again is being universally applicable. So it's just uh, the way he writes it just gives it this enduring, all-inclusive impact. And Mm -hmm. so you see that too in church history. St. Augustine had a great experience with Romans. Uh, John Wesley and of course, in Lutheran tradition, Martin Luther and uh, his uh, kind of searching for the gracious God and finding that, at least he explains in one place in Romans 1. So yeah, and then he goes on to say uh, that every Christian should know Romans word for word by heart. So if your <laughs> parishioners think uh, eight months in it is too much, well, start working on uh, what Luther advised. Or he has a everything a Christian ought to know is in Romans. And so that's just a, a, a powerful encapsulation of, of kind of the main tenets of Christian faith in a way uh, applicable to people of all times and places is uh, just relevance, ongoing, and always. Mm. Cool. Yeah. That's why we're so excited, people. Yeah. There you go. You <laughs> got go it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah, good. So <laughs> I think especially our conversation about being a Satan sinner um, kind of leads us into a conversation about these big words that are in the book of Romans. In particular, I'm thinking about one, and that's justification and what exactly we're talking about when we're saying we're justified, but we'll get there. Um, but let's kind of go through some of the vocabulary in Romans. And a lot of the, um, a lot of the big words are given to us right in the thesis you know where paul says i am not ashamed of the gospel it is the power of god for salvation for in it the righteousness of god is revealed from faith for faith for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven and then also that we are justified by his grace as a gift so let's just take some of those words uh i think vocabulary those definitions are so important to really grasp the central heart of this so First of all, when we say the word gospel, can you just t- talk about that?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I want to encourage to, you know, to try to use words that normal people use, right? Uh, that word might be, are you telling me the gospel truth, which sort of means, is this really what it is? So Greek, the word is literally good message or good news, how it's often translated, Um And again, if you ask a Christian, what's the gospel, what's the good news? Uh, It'll often come off as, uh, well, Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins. Well, true enough. But as Romans gets unpacked and how gospel gets explained, there's a lot of other different word pictures or metaphors uh, that he uses to try to fill out the gospel. I talk about it like a beautiful diamond. The hope diamond is a good analogy, right? Yes, one sense is uh, sins forgiven, Uh, But another sense that he'll do in Romans is we're credited righteous. So that's kind of God's financing is that we're credited righteousness through faith or we're redeemed, which is a word for buying back, uh, purchasing uh, by the blood of Christ. We're adopted into the family of God. That's part of the gospel. And so some of these are not just God dealing with our badness or our sins, but God giving us an internal inheritance in Christ and adopting us into his family, uh, reconciling us to himself through the death of his son. So as the as the letter goes, you get many different ways he tries to express, you know, the fullness of the good news or the gospel that is ours in Christ.
1: Hmm. Sounds like Christmas.
0: Like yeah, yeah, right.
1: Her presence to open up and it's like you lose track of how many there are. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and probably a yeah. short, wages of sin is death, free gift. of Oh, it's a gift. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. So it's a positive given as well as a removing of what mm-hmm. separates us from God.
2: I think, well, two, two things. First of all, I think that's so useful because I do think we are used to kind of truncating the gospel mm-hmm. so specifically on the cross uh, so that that's our only focus, And we have lost uh, the inheritance, you know, being made a co-heir with Christ, you know, or the redemption of our bodies that is coming Mm -hmm. as adopted sons and daughters, right? This kind of language, it really does give us a, a good grasp on hope. And so, yeah, not only is it go in peace, your sins are forgiven, but there's so much more to that revelation that really gives us something to look forward to. Um, and I think that's really useful. The other thing I wanted to t- say was, uh, John used an analogy in his first sermon or, on this topic. Um, or it was last
1: week. It was last week, yeah. yeah so it was the uh, 1, 16 through 17,
2: the thesis. Not ashamed of the gospel. And he used a similar idea that we have to unpack this gospel word and understand this well. And um, he said it's kind of like a tootsie pop, right? So how many licks does it take to get to the mm-hmm. center? Mm -hmm. And it's going to take a while to really get to the the center of of everything that um, God wants to give us in this gospel. And so we had a member of our church, I don't know who it was, but they bought boxes of Tootsie Pops and brought them into church. And so everyone got uh, a Tootsie Pop (laughs) last Sunday. It's last Sunday and uh, got to really uh, chew on what, Yeah. what we're talking about here. So I just caught
1: one of my kids eating one for breakfast this morning. So, oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about another word and, uh, really kind of packed in with that thesis that Paul gives. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation. And, you know, sometimes that word salvation, I think is like, maybe we narrowly define it as just, I'm saved but like, what does that word mean, salvation?
0: Yeah, the sense of rescue, deliverance, and you need to, my thesis advisor, Dr. Jim Veltz, would talk about, you know, filling that out. Saved, rescued, delivered, from what? By whom? How received? And again, there's so much there behind that. And you can, I mean, in the Roman context, like Caesar is savior, Uh, is used well he's going to save us from what from the invading hordes or from uh, starvation or whatever like that but then Paul of course applies this to the gospel in Christ so I mean as he again unpacks it from uh, sin from the separation from God from uh, death mortal physical death eternal wrath of God Uh, Things that we do need saving, rescuing, delivering from, and ultimately you mentioned redemption of our bodies. So COVID, sickness, cancer, uh, everything that could um, denigrate the goodness of the life God wants us to have, that all of that are things that were saved, rescued, delivered from now in the gospel or in the future, not yet, that will uh, yet uh, be realized when Christ returns.
2: Hmm. Again, another rich word, a lot to unpack. Good. And then we've been really focusing on this word too, this word righteousness, like God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel. And so this one is, uh, I found a lot of depth to it too. So talk a little bit about uh, righteousness, the righteousness of God.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if we were going to write this after you, you know, in the gospel, uh, what's revealed? I'm not ashamed of the gospel for Jesus is revealed or the death and resurrection is revealed or no, the righteous. It is what? Yes. What does that have to do with uh, what's going on here? And in the Old Testament, that uh, Hebrew word is often parallel in Hebrew poetry with salvation. God's righteousness is salvation. Psalm 98 is a great. Example of that where we get joy to the world. So, uh, yes, in this uh, unpacking this became a, a huge kind of linchpin in the Reformation. Um, in Latin, this became justification. And so, uh, in Latin, justifaccio is to make just. So, Luther is an Augustinian monk who taught sanative justification. God had to make Luther just and God hadn't come through on his part yet. He still lusted. He still was angry at his superiors. He still uh, didn't want to do the good works God wanted. So he's angry at God because God hasn't done his part to make him just yet. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: if that isn't finished here in this uh, age, then we got purgatory to get me cleaned up fully before I can uh, stand before God. So that uh, just understanding of that word through Latin kind of confused him. But then uh, Luther's uh, great discovery of the gospel or the gospel discovers Luther, as I like to talk about it, came getting back into the Greek word and the Hebrew word behind the Greek word. And he came to understand righteousness as an active declarative uh, word from God so that it isn't God making me totally just here and now. But God declaring me righteous, and then I am what He says I am. And if God, like a judge, declares you righteous, then you are that uh, because it's given to you by His voice, and uh, you're declared it, and it's yours. Even as you're struggling to live that out before God, you you stand right before Him.
1: Can we kind of think of this language of righteous as um, as like status that that God? gives to you a status he says this is who you are and then the rest of your life you're learning to become what you are like we talk about justification and sanctification that god declares us to be right you're 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 righteous and then because of that declaration he is progressively day by day making us to be righteous i, I think of, what does it say in the confessions melanchthon says that that justification is when God makes us into righteous people. But, but that's like, that's we can think of that in who I am or my status, but we can also think of it how I act. And so Luther's interpreting this as saying, God makes me right with him, and then he teaches me to live rightly. Would that make mm-hmm. sense?
0: Yeah, calls calls you to live that out, right. So uh, yeah, with students, I so much of our world, you have to do, 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 do to be someone, right? And the gospel is, no, you be God's child, his daughter, his son, righteous, holy, sinless, in Christ before him. And that's your identity. All God, all grace, all gift. Mm -hmm. But then, yes, especially in the latter part of Paul's letters, we're called to live that out. And, you know, maybe ups and downs. It's not just some progressive trajectory, always getting better because uh, what we endure here in this world. But yes, definitely called to live out the righteousness given. Um, yeah, I think Dr. Bierman at St. Louis Center talks about two kinds of righteousness. And at least the gospel is the declared, you are what God says you are. And in Christ, you are righteous. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Uh, that's who you be before God in relationship with him. Good. Now let's work at living that out uh, in ways that are also pleasing to God and a blessing to neighbor.
1: Hmm. Which is so important because there's nobody else in the world that's saying that. Like the 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 church is the only place where we're saying that it's not do 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 do. It's you were made right with God by what He did, you know, not what we do. And it's a very liberating message, right?
2: Yeah, it uh, is. It, is. Yeah. it is. Remember,
0: yeah, work uh, doesn't. Your labor, you have to work to be paid, right? In athletics, yeah. you have to do to to be at the Super Bowl uh, grades in class. This is why this is so hard in an academic setting, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, everything you do in terms of your grade, I mean, de- determines your grade. So yes, this, uh, this turns things on its head. And probably the one analogy is our physical birth from our parents, right? We didn't work for choose deserve to be their son or daughter. This was their work. Mom's labor. We're their daughter or son. Now we're called to live that out in healthy families in a positive way. Uh, but your identity as daughter or son isn't anything you did. It was all just given to you.
2: Yeah, I, re- I remember um, Professor Robert Kolb really helped me understand this, you know, beloved professor at St. Louis and uh, probably the most he's like the most famous Lutheran, right? In our circles. But uh, he said, you know, it kind of going back to baseball that, yeah, if, if someone uh, is up to bat, hits a hits a, a base hit goes around tries to make it to second base but gets thrown out and it's clear he's he's thrown out by you know half the distance from first to second but the umpire the says safe uh, he's safe and there's a declaration that even if it it doesn't actually exist in the reality it's a declaration and so i think that really helped me to understand uh the the narrow definition of being justified, being declared safe, declared innocent, even if it doesn't match up with my performance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, that's it's a beautiful word. Uh, the next word we want to think about is
1: the word faith. I mean, that's a word all over in Romans. Uh, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Uh, what does that word faith mean?
0: Yeah, and this is this is that's a very disputed passage of exactly what that means uh, in Greek, literally from faith into faith. What what does he mean there? Uh, and in my studies, it's very interesting. I'm I'm a big guy of Greek words and Hebrew meanings. So the Hebrew word behind that is actually where we get "Amen" from in English. "Emunah." So at the end of a prayer, when you say "Amen," you're actually saying a Hebrew word for "I believe." what I'm praying, and I believe it's heard before the throne of God, and and that's why we add our amen at the end. Um, In Hebrew, this often means reliability, steadfastness, trustworthiness, uh, great is thy faithfulness, Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: it's really about resting in God's trustworthiness, reliability, steadfastness, most of the Old Testament, until like Isaiah, where it kind of gets more of the typical Lutheran or Pauline understanding of faith as what we receive uh, passively from God, uh, believing in that sense. So, I I mean, I I think it's very plausible that this is to be understood as uh, from faithfulness of God in Christ to us to our receptive faith. Mm -hmm. But again, that's very, very uh, tricky to say one way or the other for sure. Uh, The next time Paul uses faith in Romans is in chapter three, and it's about the faithfulness of God. So, uh, I mean, I like like resting my faith uh, more on God's faithfulness and Christ's faithfulness for us and for our salvation more than on myself or even my faith. And so I think we need to, in the total context of scripture, uh, understand that could well be the, the sense of the first from faith. But then, as you go throughout the letter, it's very helpful, and we'll come back to righteousness in just a minute. Uh, What's the opposite? So, on the human side, as Paul unpacks Romans, the opposite of faith isn't unbelief, it's works. So, works on the human side is me trying to work my way toward God to earn or deserve something from Him based on what I do. But the opposite of that is faith, is just receiving, believing in the faithfulness of God and in his gospel grace to us in Christ.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really useful, actually, because yeah. it is a difficult thing to understand. You know, it's like not immediately clear what he's meaning, by from faith, for faith. Almost seems like a poem or something or a puzzle, but um, I think it definitely makes sense, especially in the near context and the whole thesis that what God, what Paul is trying to prove is just how mm-hmm. good God is to his mm-hmm to his promises, and to us as a result of that.
1: This idea, too, that God is fair, you know, he's equitable in the way he treats people, and, you know, for the Jew first, and, you know, the Gentile, the Greek, yeah. Um, Now let's talk about a word that's uh, not all that popular. Um, We, uh, Tim, in his sermon this past week, talked about the wrath of God revealed from heaven, and made an observation that if we were to plant a church here in carney we probably wouldn't call it wrath of god lutheran church um yeah that just doesn't sell it doesn't no (laughs) um but uh you know we don't really like this term and and we're uncomfortable with it but uh kind of unpack this. What does Paul mean when he talks about the wrath of God revealed? And, and, and that word comes up again. I mean, the day of wrath in chapter mm-hmm. 5, yeah. and yeah. we've been saved from the wrath of God in chapter 5. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's talk about that word.
0: Yes, it's, uh, I mean, we often segment up Romans, and I would even say a few of the chapter divisions are in misleading places. Uh, but, but the hook, after he talks about, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is being revealed, Then uh, two verses later, the wrath of God is being revealed and it depends on your translation, but it's against all the unrighteousness of people. So, yes, this is very hard in our culture. I think we have a very kind of tolerant view of God. Um, And so this this is hard to communicate to people. Uh, One student wore a T-shirt. The righteousness is the, the righteousness he requires is the righteousness. His righteousness requires him to require (laughs) <laughs> and Paul will say, no one is righteous, not even one. Oh, so uh, Paul turns to the wrath of God against all human unrighteousness. And then you get, you know, all the way through to chapter three, verse 20, just this, um, enjoy preaching on that, right? Uh, that this, that this is part of God's character. You could do holiness, right? The holiness God requires is the holiness his holiness requires him to require, and none of us have it. And we need to know none of us have it because on Judgment Day, this will not be a good thing. Um, So it's sort of like you need to know this saving from what's coming before the gospel is as precious as it is, because otherwise uh, there's there's no way out. Uh, Chris Tomlin has a song all to us, and it has this line, uh, let the righteousness of God be a holy flame that burns. Mm. Oh, now, is that good news or bad news out here in Southern California with wildfires? A holy flame that burns is ominous, right? And the wrath of God is a holy flame that is going to burn up all unrighteousness. Hmm. And it's coming a judgment day. And so Paul is unpacking. That's our status so that he can uh, see how deeply we need the gospel. The song goes on to say, may the saving love of Christ be the measure of our lives so you can understand righteousness of God as holy flame that burns, which will end in wrath on judgment day, or righteousness of God, purifying, cleansing, declaring righteous, uh, as Paul's going to use that phrase then uh, both ways. So I often talk about if Paul wrote Romans today, the title, of course, is not Romans. That's just who he writes it to. It would be the righteousness of God. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then the subtitle would be the verses you're talking about in verses 16 to 17, and then uh, the Habakkuk quote, right before we get to the wrath, the righteous will live from faith. Okay. But the wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness. And then he goes on in great detail to say, here is that unrighteousness. And he's getting very specific, right? Uh, And to Jew and Gentile alike, there's no difference uh, among people. So yeah, this is the reality of god's righteousness god's character god's holiness and that our unrighteousness our own holiness our sin cannot stand in his presence uh in the day when god will come and judge the world
1: yeah one of those um those phrases we hear these days is you do you you know and well yeah. what if we said to god you know god you do you
0: yeah
1: you know if god would be you know truly righteous and and insist on being himself then then and if he's the center of everything then you know yeah and and if we get that if we understand that god is truly righteous and that we're not then that gospel starts to be really important
0: yeah right right then it's a big the deal. power right to uh to uh resolve that yeah and yeah, I, I like the judge analogy if you have this judge And he's a righteous judge. And he just starts letting criminals off the hook left and right. Nobody wants a judge like that in your community, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we want God to be a good judge. And if you want to say fair, you know, justice is a, is a ominous thing to ask for from God. God, give me what I deserve. Read Romans 118 to 320. And now you tell me you want God to be fair and give you what you deserve. Um, So I think there's a hard, God is a just God.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I I want wrath for my enemies and mercy for me.
0: Well, then, you know, where do you draw the line, right? The judge should let me off and those people off, but not those guys, right? And that's why, again, the each, every, all that's going to run Romans 118 to 320, uh, not going to, one of my students said, no wiggle room for no one. And I'm like, "Yep, (laughs) there is no difference. All sin and falling short. And it isn't earning a better score than someone else. Um, with a God like that, it's, it's, it's a holy, righteous God. And that means uh, unrighteousness will not stand in his presence.
1: One of the commentaries we're using alongside yours is the Martin Franzman one mm-hmm. and um, neat little book. And, and he's, he talks about how every person thinks that they are the great exception to God's justice. <laughs> that You know, yeah. uh, my sin is excusable, but the sin of others is not. And, um, You know, as I think about that, though, if we really come to terms with the bad news, it just really makes that good news so sweet. Um, It it really makes Romans important for us to understand on what grounds are we acquitted? You know, on what grounds are we forgiven? It's not like God just uh, pulls our justification out of thin air. I mean, we get to chapter three and there's the sacrifice of atonement right there's the the propitiation the god putting forth christ in our place which is so beautiful to to grab onto. um we have just a couple more words here to take a look at there's actually in that chapter three paul says that we are justified by his grace as a gift and do you you think we did justice no pun intended to justification (laughs) I just made that up right now. That was good. That was like a my dad joke. Well, I think Um, if you
2: make a joke and you don't know it happened, it's like an uncle joke.
1: That's an uncle joke. Or a mom joke. (laughs) So um, do you think we did justice to justification, or do you want to talk about that word that more?
0: Yeah, again, as um as a doctrinal category, I like it. I mean I mentioned earlier that actually the Latin make just justification. Uh, like a factory, it's justifaccio, so that the Latin root of that word is potentially misleading, right? Um, God will make us just at the return of Christ, but for now, we're not resting on requiring, uh, even expecting that, we're we're resting in uh, what you mentioned earlier, Uh, therefore they are without excuse, I am without excuse before the throne of God, last verse of chapter one. And then verse two starts to talk about you. What about you? You're doing some of the same thing. You're without excuse, too. So once again, we're at that uh, point of hearing that in all its fullness. Yeah, then the declared righteous gift of God, uh, apart from our works, is such a beautiful thing. Um, By his, I'm there, the verse you're quoting in chapter three, it's by uh, the redemption that came, that he paid the price. It's the sacrifice of atonement Christ publicly put forward on the cross, uh, this length to which God would go to maintain his righteousness Mm -hmm. and be able to declare us righteous, Mm -hmm. I think is really the culminating point is Romans 3.26, that God can declare us righteous well also being righteous at the same time so he doesn't negate nullify disregard or cheapen his righteousness but the sacrifice of christ who bore the wrath for us is the way in which then he can be righteous even while declaring righteous a scoundrel like me because of the faithfulness or our faith in christ or the faithfulness of christ
1: yeah Mm. and so it's uh I think it was John Stott. I think it's something I was reading by him on that text. He says that God makes us righteous in a righteous way, in a way that doesn't betray his own righteousness. He really does say no to sin on the cross, Mm -hmm. but he's saying yes to us.
0: Correct. And that's correct. Yes. So that without compromising uh, who he is in his character. um, That's why again, I like that. Let the righteousness of God be a holy flame that burns. Well, Yes. Right. Either in a wrath judgment way or in a purifying, cleansing, redeeming way. And uh, that. Yes. But I think that's how he's unpacking the phrase uh, throughout the letter, which is really its title, the righteousness of God. And uh, what does that mean for humans?
2: It's good, because I think I've heard some objections to Christianity kind of based on like maybe an absurdity argument, you know, like what you know why Uh, some jewish rabbi gets killed on a cross god could have done any other way right so why pick this absurd thing that people have to believe in and force them to try to believe it but if you understand that god is being faithful to his own promises within the context of his creation and his covenants to the jewish people and to the world uh, then it's like yeah this was the way this is the only way Mm. Uh, that he could both be just and the one who justifies exactly yeah yeah and
0: i think that's that's a real emphatic we tend to like like romans 328 we're declared righteous by faith apart from works very very good but I, i would say throughout especially the initial chapters his driving statements are always about god and i point that out in the commentary right it's the righteousness of god uh it's in the day when god will judge There's no partiality with God. That He works through that first section. He's always going to drive it home. Here's something about the character, the integrity, the righteousness, the faithfulness of God, and that's what He's unpacking in Romans. More than the letter being about me. Mm. Yeah, that was kind of a. a, And again, in our Lutheran context, Luther searching for a, 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 a gracious God, right? And he says he finds it reading and understanding Romans in its original language. Gave him this gift, grace, righteousness from God, apart from works, and that was so awesome. Yes, but I still think that the driving theme of the letter is is more in the initial chapters for sure, uh, teaching us about God, which is theology is words over about God, uh, and then yes, secondarily, how do they impact us as humans, as sinners, as believers? Yes, that that's there too, but it's. It's the character and the actions of God that are driving the letter um, mm-hmm. as he unpacks it. Awesome.
1: This mm-hmm. justification takes place um, by God's grace. Uh, and that's one of those words that maybe is a little thin in our language every day. You know, we say grace. You know, mm-hmm. um, what does Paul mean by that word?
0: Yeah, uh, charis. Yeah, and you met, it's kind of redundant there in chapter three, uh, grace freely. Well, grace is free. So why are you saying given to us by his grace freely? That's yes. Well, obviously, then he's emphasizing. Um, yeah, I mean, I still like the all God, all grace, all gift. I'm a goofy guy with acronyms. You probably heard the God's riches at Christ's expense. So again, he just didn't ignore, which much of our culture just wants to be tolerant and ignore bad behavior. Uh, no, it's Christ's expense. And that's what he's unpacking right there in chapter three, through the sacrifice of atonement in his blood. Uh, another one I like is God really uh, accomplishes everything. You know, That's grace. That's the gift. You don't work for earn or deserve it. The wages of sin is death. That's what we all deserve because all of sin. But instead, we get this um, gift where God accomplishes all that is needed for us and for our salvation. Just ask us to receive it and believe it.
1: Hmm. Would you say that grace is also a God's favorable disposition to us, meaning that God looks upon us with kindness, that He He's favorable to us?
0: Um, certainly, certainly, yeah. It's it, this is very hard to consistently translate these
1: yeah, uh, so words lit. into
0: English. Sometimes that word would be the the favor. Yeah. Of God. And right. As long as we root it in and through Christ. Yes. That's why he's favorable to us or uh, we're reconciled to God through the death of his son. So he looks looks at us with favor undeserved. Right. Grace. Yeah.
2: Okay. Good. So kind of to dig a little deeper with you, you know, you have looked through Romans at a level that. 99.99% Ninety-nine point nine nine percent of the population will not, right? Uh, most pastors will not. It's like running a marathon, yeah, uh,
1: like an ultra marathon in Romans.
2: Yeah, you're like a, you're like an NFL star of like <laughs> wow. reading the Bible, you know. But anyway, <laughs> we're wondering, you know, as as you've taken this long term journey through Romans. Uh, what are some of the most difficult issues that you had to wrestle with as you studied and wrote the commentary? Because as a commentator, you're kind of you're supposed to come down with some conclusions, some answers. You know, you're just supposed to firm up knowledge for people. What, what were the some of those difficulties?
0: Right. So how many Romans commentaries are out there? I always joke like 90. Right. So Midendorf's going to give the definitive right <laughs> understanding. Uh, There's something that, uh, yeah, it kind of goes back all the way to uh, our premarital counseling. We went in with our pastor and did one of those personality things. And the guy came back and said, uh, our dear pastor said that, well, who's going to make decisions for you guys? So making a decision. Well, now look at trying to write a Romans commentary. How do I translate every word? How do I know what the form of every word is? How do I know what Paul meant when he used this word? But then this word is in a sentence. And so how does this word function in this sentence? Um, It's just uh, both an amazing blessing. 7100 Greek words. So his longest letter. Um, So, yeah, just that struggling uh, to decide what's the best understanding. Uh, My doctoral advisor with Roman seven was Jim Belts, and he's into like the impacts of postmodernism on interpreting the Bible and that at least you know, we as a reader, as a hearer, are actively involved in trying to pull out the meaning of the text that Paul intended when he put it into verbally inspired words in the letter. Okay, how do I know for sure? Well, I could ask Paul, but I can ask Paul, right? So instead of like Uh, a modernist approach that I grew up with is here's the right interpretation and this is the wrong interpretation because it's not my right interpretation. Uh, There's a little more being open to uh, who I am as a person, reading it in the Lutheran tradition, um, bouncing it off of what other scholars think is going to hopefully lead to the best interpretation I can make. Um, And so I like scholars who talk about uh, what's a plausible reading of this verse. All Israel will be saved. What's the most plausible understanding of this verse in the context of the whole letter? What are implausible readings of this verse? And then there are just some wrong ones, too, right? But listening to different scholars, um, yes, I was blessed with uh, fellowships and uh, sabbatical to spend the time uh, mostly engaging with other scholars, working with uh, the the original language and trying to understand that as best as I could and then communicate often. Here's a number of ways of understanding this verse, this word, this phrase, this chapter, but this, I think, is the best one in the context of the whole letter and of Paul's writings as a whole that certainly help enlighten us and make us uh, enable us to make good uh fairly solid uh, readings and again i like this is the most plausible understanding of this and when i get to heaven i'll ask paul is that really what you meant in romans 7 and i'm hoping he's gonna say yeah yeah pretty good bit of but what were you thinking in chapter 9 come on right yeah um so it's just but that makes it vibrant lively dynamic uh, like our relationship with God, it's living, it's active, like the Word of God, and so we engage it. and You're engaging in it for eight months. How awesome is that? Um, to to wrestle through it, right? And as you grow, as you do so.
1: So, kind of to wrap up here, um, if if you wrote a commentary, a double commentary volumes uh, on, on Romans, uh, you've really thought about Romans pretty deeply you've preached Romans in your ministry. Um, You may have heard a lot of sermons on Romans, maybe. Um, Would there be any cautions that you would give to us as pastors about like, hey, um, just here's some ways that you might go wrong or just some common mistakes you see when people preach Romans?
0: Yeah, thanks. That's that's a very perceptive question. Uh, Here's a couple. Um, One, I applaud you guys for Starting at chapter one, verse one, and going through chapter 16. I enjoy, I can't wait to hear your sermon on Romans 16 and the list of names that he sends greetings to. (laughs) Uh, But believe it or not, Paul assumes you're going to read the letter from the beginning all the way through to the end. You're Mm going to hear the whole thing. Um, I'm not the biggest lectionary fan because of the way it just kind of slices and dices and only uses part of the letter, who pulls it out of context, it starts halfway through. Uh, especially Romans is so integrated in a flow of thought that you really need to hear the flow of thought all the way through and not ignore the parts that might make us uncomfortable or we're not exactly sure what to do with them. So uh, one, at least as you're speaking on part of it, read all of it and consider the flow all the way through. Um, Another tendency in um, Lutheran kind of preaching on it would be to kind of read it through Luther's experience. Uh, you're looking for a gracious God. Well, here's how Luther found one and you can find one too. And I talked about this earlier that I think, especially through the first four chapters, his driving conclusion is always about God, not about us. So I've done a number of like seminars on Romans and my title is Romans. It's not really about you. And that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Because if it's about you, um, Yeah, and again, if you're talking about the righteousness of God, that's the driving theme, but then how does that impact us as humans, yes, we need to consider that, but I don't think that's the the main thrust of the letter. And then, well, we talked earlier about the metaphors, to just say the gospel in the richness of all the ways Paul expresses it. There's an excursus in the commentaries, Paul's gospel metaphors in Romans, And I would thank our former president, Jack Price, wrote this awesome book, Just Words, that goes through 22 metaphors of ways the scriptures try to speak of the gospel to us. And it's so beautiful and rich in in all those expressions, uh, like we talked about earlier. And then finally, I think you brought up earlier, living out righteousness. So when you're getting to Romans 12 to 16, the point isn't to hammer you down with with the wrath of God. Uh, Romans 12 is through the mercies of God, offer yourselves as living sacrifices in response to his grace. Here's how we're called to live that out in our relationship with God and other people around us, both inside the Christian community and outside of it and government authorities, all sorts of stuff in there, right? But don't use that to pound people down. But always remind them, here's who you were without Christ, but now here who you are in Christ And the last half of Paul's letters are almost all how do you live that identity out confident in the grace of God and the given righteousness in Christ um, and a way to, yes, live it out, mature, grow, develop um, and reflect uh, God's love, God's grace uh, as we uh, live out in response to his mercies.
1: So if I heard you right, I mean, just as we go through the whole letter, uh, even when Paul gets to those uh, exhortations, saying mm-hmm. "Do this, don't do this," mm-hmm. that we keep the gospel at the center. That really, the gospel is what motivates us to to keep God's law. That we we're not gonna mm-hmm. um, try to base our identity or or create an identity through what we do, but because of who we are, we right. we ought to. The gospel makes an impact on our lives. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah and so if you click, I mean, second use of law, Romans one eighteen to 3.20, there it is, right? Oh, yeah. the Romans 12 to 16 is intended by Paul to do something, to do exactly what you're saying. Ephesians 4 to 6 are, how do you live this out? Philippians 3 to 4, are how do you live this out? Um, and so at least in my formation, it was kind of every use of lies, second use and condemn. And again, well, if Romans 1, 2, 3, okay, but not later in the letters, right? It's it's really motivational, inspirational, rooted in Christ. How do you grow and mature and live that out in a way that will bless you in your relationship with God and uh, be a blessing to others as you uh, reflect that to others, yes.
2: So, yeah, once we understand that our, our works and the law doesn't save us, which is what Paul covers right in the right off the bat, then we're free to pursue the law without condemnation and free to delight in it uh, even though it's it's not our saving force, that's, that's the gospel. That's our Lord, but we can use that law to the
0: good ends and the will of God. Right. So he brings it back in chapter 13. And I think what he's saying is, uh, your love of your neighbor as your love is the fullness of the law.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: that yeah. God's intent in giving the law to his people is to show them how to love God and love neighbor as Jesus would say in Matthew 22. Um, so, yes, I mean, I think that's that's the ultimate, however you want to say it, intent. And Romans 13 does that uh, really well. It brings the law back for a believer rooted in Christ. And that then loving your neighbor is is the intended outcome or fruition of, of uh, God's intent with the law, ultimately. Hmm. But if you use it to keep score. I had my dean who retired a little while ago, the law's only problem if you use it to keep score. If I use it to keep score with God, I'm in trouble. If I use it to try to keep score with others, my score is better than yours, you're in trouble too. That's not the point or God's intent with it, uh, but to show us, yeah, how to how to live out his love toward others.
1: Well, thank you again for just <laughs> taking this time to be with us uh, virtually here on the, on the podcast and, uh, you know, we just appreciate your work, your, your scholarship. And I'm sure when you're writing those commentaries, when you're just in the thick of research and all those hours, you might wonder, is this going to benefit <laughs> anybody? <You> know, but <laughs> yeah. just know that your work is really a blessing to the church and it's a blessing to us. And we've really enjoyed studying your, your commentary and it's, it's shaped us as pastors. And so um, thank you for that. Thanks, thanks be to God for what he's done through you. And, uh, actually we look forward to seeing you in March. You're going to be here for our pastor's conference. Yeah. So all the pastors in Nebraska are gathering here in Kearney in March, and you're going to be doing, uh, your sessions on Romans with us. So,
0: yes, and you're right. So thank you. It'd be great to be there too. Again, I applaud you, uh, for, for working through the whole thing. I'll enjoy to see what you do in Romans nine to 11, but it's sometimes that. The hardest hard <laughs> struggling through becomes the richest blessing. And maybe I, I just say that in closing, that as you work through the letter, wrestle with the letter as, as lay people, as pastors, um, you know, God's spirit is working in and through that and maybe stretches us sometimes or confuses us other times, but ultimately just wants to enrich us in Christ. And that's how Paul, you know, ends the letter to God, be the glory into the ages forever. Amen. 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 All right. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you again. Oh, you're very welcome. Appreciate it.